Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Well, good morning once again. And for those of you that are that are listening online sometime this week or maybe later today, we welcome you to the 10 a.m. service of Whitestone Christian Fellowship here in upstate New York. Uh, we did not get the horrible snowstorm and the large snowfall that our neighboring city of Buffalo got, but it's pretty cold up here. It's in the 20s today, and it doesn't look like it's going to get out of the 20s all day. Uh, the roads are sometimes slick. There's... Uh, little uh, snow devils that swirl across the highway and winter is here and it's finally upon us if you would please uh, turn in your uh, Bibles our reading this morning is from Psalm 68 we'll read verses 17 through 19 together uh, it's it's a prophecy that we're going to be we're going to be seeing fulfilled in Paul's letter to Ephesus. So Psalm 68, read with me verses 17 through 19. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Amen to that. Blessed be God at all times. This prophecy is all about God's faithfulness to man. It's about his faithfulness to bring salvation not only to his chosen people, the Jews, but also to the rebellious, the Gentiles, the pagans, the barbarians, all of those people that rebel against God, even though he has put the idea of God in their hearts. They rebelled and they did not search him out. They made gods unto themselves. So this morning, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we get into the chapter, and he's been building throughout the first three chapters about this. He's, he's been revealing some of the mysteries of the faith. He's been revealing uh, some of the traits that he has and that he would like us to take on, to put on some of those very same traits and he continues here in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. Well, what's that vocation? Let's go back up a little bit and we'll read from verse 17 in chapter 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love 
may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now him who is now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And he finished the chapter with amen. This is the calling that we have been called to. This is the hope that Christ has that we will be able to attain to all of these things to have the Lord dwelling in our hearts to be able to comprehend the height and breadth the love and depth and all of that and to know the love of Christ to, and this word to know is gnosko in the Greek and it's knowledge by experience God wants us to experience His love through the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants us to be like Him. How are we doing so far? It's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle to just be loving to even, even your friends sometimes. And I need to kind of address that. Love is, love is the embracing. But like and love are two different things. There are people in our lives that we love, but sometimes we don't always like what they do. Sometimes they hurt us. And it's the ones that know us the best and that love us in return. They're the ones who see the vulnerabilities and quite often it's not by not not by purposefully wanting to hurt us but we're hurt anybody here ever not been hurt we've all been hurt we've all been hurt but that's because man is imperfect that's because man is centered on himself and as far as our enemies go, we know they're going to hurt us. It's a given. So, you know, it's just one step with our loved ones and our friends when we're hurt. There's room for God in their life, and there's room for God's forgiveness in ours. Because even when they hurt us, we still love them. We still love them. I love both my, my sons and my wife, my family. Without question, it's a permanent fixture. Do they make me happy and please me all the time? No. <laughs> no, my wife does. <laughs> I thought I have to throw that in because she's glaring at me up here. But that's our calling is to know and to experience the love of Christ firsthand because His love is always that perfect agape love that is giving and supplying. 
and he gives it to us freely without expecting anything in return. It's like the it's probably close to the love of a parent towards a child. We want nothing but the best for the child. We take care of them and we supply for all they need when they're young. At least that's the plan for God's nuclear families. So Paul continues here in this and he says in verse 1 of 4 again I'll read it therefore I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewithin you are called worthy of the vocation well we just read about our vocation we read about God's plans for our lives we read about God's desires for our character and for our behaviors and he says with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Truly in love. When we think of lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearing one another, because of the love of Christ, we're putting on humility. We're putting on humility. And that's the only way that we can approach God because He out-humbles everybody. He humbled Himself so much that He went to the cross for our benefit, for our sake, for our sins. And He loves us so much that He made this world so that there are things in it that we would enjoy and that we would use and utilize even to bring Him glory again. Now Satan has crept in and there's an awful lot of misuse of the things that God has supplied. But when we remember that God is the one that supplied them and Satan is the one that has twisted them, then it makes us want to reflect and think about how we are using those gifts and those opportunities and those things that were made for pleasure, and are they being used for His glory, or are they being used up by our pleasure? Long-suffering. Putting up with stuff. If you, if you went to the church where I went for a long time, we had a guest teacher in, in the church one night. And maybe it was during a conference, I don't even remember, but he, he focused in on this word long-suffering. And it really is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of us, this, this pastor teacher said, that Jesus is long-suffering. He lengthened out that word long so that we all got it. And he was the kind of a pre preacher and Bible teacher that would draw you in with humor. Usually self-effacing humor. 
but he would draw you into some of the silly things in his life that he had, he had done and corrected, and then he would zip you with this, this long-suffering that the Lord puts up with because of us. No wonder it's only by grace that we enter. God's unmerited favor, it's nothing we deserve, nothing that we've worked for. He lets us in because He loves us. And at some point, He grabbed our attention. And we found that because of what we have experienced through His love towards us, that we want to give back and love Him in return. As the epistles say, we love Him because He first loved us. So he's, he's described all of these attributes that God wants us to put on in our lives and to begin to change our lives. And this, this chapter 4 begins a, a passage that runs a chapter and a half, halfway through chapter 5, that describes the life of the believer. So that's where we're going to be going for the next couple of weeks, even after today. But as we look at all of these attributes that were just described, Paul says, endeavoring. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know how important that is? To keep the unity of the Spirit. It's only because of the Holy Spirit that we can have unity with anybody. Because if we try to do it with somebody, somebody else's other than the Holy Spirit, then we'll find ourselves with, with that other person's promises, that other person's hope, aspirations, goals, and we'll get sucked into going in the wrong direction. We become followers of a person or an ideal or a goal that is not God's, but is that other person's. Now, I'm not going to get political, but we've just gone through the elections and we've seen and heard and witnessed many of these other people who have thoughts and ideas and goals that they want to attain their way. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Who doesn't want peace in their lives? But all these different people, they have a different path. They have several different paths. They have multiple paths to peace. But unless it's the peace of God through the Holy Spirit, it is not going to be a lasting peace. Paul continues here and he jumps subject a little bit. And he talks about there are, there are seven unities to be kept. And it's interesting that when we usually speak of, our, of God and our relationship with Him, it usually starts with God. It usually starts with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit and to mankind. But Paul is speaking to this body of believers, part of the body of Christ. And he says here, 
there is one body. He starts out at the low end and works up. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Every one of us. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but this is important. That we get our priorities right. There is a hierarchy in the church. Not in the, I'm not talking about denominations and bureaucracies of the churches. I'm talking about the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a pecking order, if you want to call it that. And you might note that there is one body. We are on the bottom, the body of Christ. Because we are still unperfected as we live in these fleshly tents. We are still imperfect. We still have desires that draw us away. We still have a character that tends to wander and steps out of step with God. There is one body and one spirit. Okay, there's a unity in the body. There is a unity having just one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. So here's three of the things that we can hold in unity. The body, the spirit, and that one hope in our calling. It's the same calling for everybody. Here's your goals. And he asks us to he asks us to walk worthy of our vocations. He asks us to walk our talk. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Are we holding all of those things in common with all of the rest of the body of Christ, or at least the professing church? Verse 6, One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. I'd like you to turn back to uh, John chapter four, uh, chapter 17 for a minute. In chapter 17, in verse 18 of 17, he says, As thou hast sent me unto the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. He's speaking of the apostles and disciples and the believers. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. Jesus prayed for us long before we were ever even thought of he prayed for us. Well, he thought of us. Our parents didn't. Neither prayer for these alone, but for them also, which will believe on me through their word, that they may be one, 
as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and that they also might be one in us, that the world might believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Here's this unity being part of the body of Christ. And we know that God has given us all kinds of gifts, even as it, even as it spoke of in our reading this morning. The glory which thou gavest me I have given to them that may, they may be able, they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. This oneness is an amazing mystery of the faith that we could be one with God. Now back up in chapter 3, verse 19, as we entered into this, the uh, introduction to this chapter, it says that we may know by experience, we, we may know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he's talked about in John 17. That's what Jesus prayed for for us. That's what he prayed for for us. And so he finished this little section out from chapter 5, from verse 5, chapter 4. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We can't approach God without believing in Him. And if we're believing in Him, then He is in us. He has taken up a residence somewhere in the corner of our mind or in the corner of our heart. And we have the ability to multitask. We have the ability to Keep that little corner of our heart, that corner of our mind, attuned to God all day long. In verse 7, Paul continues and he talks and he's speaking of the ministry gifts of the body of Christ to his body. So these are the ministry gifts, the things that God has given to us. Now, I just want to reiterate what we read in Psalm 68, verse 18, Thou hast ascended on high, Thou hast led captivity captive, Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, even for the rebellious, also that the Lord might dwell among them. What it's saying is that we all have gifts. Once we're believers, we all have gifts. If for no other reason than even faith is a gift of God, as it speaks of in, this, in the epistles. In 
in verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. But hasn't He given us gifts, plural? According to the measure of Christ. Christ knows our own personality and personal attributes and our own abilities. And He knows what what lives we will encounter. He knows people that we will cross paths with. And He has given us grace to minister to those people. Because not everybody receives the Gospel at the same time and in the same way. We call upon God. Lord, use us. Lord, use us. And He's given us gifts according to the measure of His grace. It's the gift of Christ. Wherefore He saith, when He ascended up on high, and here's the fulfillment of that passage, when He ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. These are the spiritual gifts He's speaking of. Faith is the first one that He gives us. And it builds from there. But there's also an interesting thing here. Paul started out this chapter identifying himself as a prisoner of the Lord. And what is a prisoner but someone who's been captured? He ascended on high. He led captivity captive. The ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, God has captured us. He has captured them. Paul identifies now. This is so wonderful. Paul thinks to himself, I am. I'm a prisoner and I don't want to be released. You know, put my earlobe up against the, up against the doorpost and run it all through it. That's a sign from the Old Testament that the slave didn't want to be released from his master's household because his master was kind and gracious and benevolent. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. What an interesting thing that Paul realizes this now, even after being such, such a, a strong Pharisee among the Jews, he never had the Holy Spirit before. He never had the understanding that the Spirit brings. But boy, he's got it now. He's got it now. Now that he ascended... What is it but also that He descended first into the lower parts of the earth? If we talk about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, if we speak of God descending and then ascending, then in order to ascend, He had to descend the first, in the first place. He came to the lower parts of the earth. And who was it? It was one of the apostles, it says, that told him, is there any good thing that came out of Nazareth? According to the Jews, at least the Jews in Jerusalem, that was the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. It was a blue-collar town. People struggled to live there. 
Even the household where Jesus grew up in, his father was a manual laborer making yokes. Making tables or chairs. Using wood. Building things with his hands. Those are honorable professions. But it was in that place where there's no good thing that comes out of Nazareth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And I had to look up this word fill. I know what it means, but it doesn't mean to fulfill. It means to fill. If your glass is half, half, half full, Jesus wants to fill it up all the way. He wants to, he wants to fill all things in the church, in each of us. He wants to fill all things in the world. Now, when we think of a glass that's half empty, we think, well, I've already had half of the glass. Either that or else somebody's shorting me. <laughs> but he wants us to have the fullness of himself, even as it said in Psalm 68, the fullness of God. His desire is to fill all things with himself. with himself. That's something that we can't possibly even think about doing. Jesus wants to fill this whole world with himself. He wants people to see it. He wants to be acknowledged as the Creator, the Lord, and the God, and the agent of the Father, His Word, to make sure that we all give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. And as he speaks about the gifts, he says, and he gave some. Now he's talking about the church. But he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. But when he says he gave some, doesn't mean that everybody got all of those. It means some of them got some of these. So some have been called to be apostles and some have been called to be prophets. Those are gifts. Some have called to become evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Those are the callings. That's part of our vocation as well because He has given us gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 4, he says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. 
but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Here's the unity of the Spirit and what He's giving out in gifts. To every believer, we all get some of these. Are we bold enough to use them in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, in our stores? Verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of those tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will, not as we will, God knows us better than we know ourselves, and He know what, knows what gifts we will use, and we will know how to use them. He knows how we work. We, he knows how we are. Severally, as He will. So those are, the, those are some of the gifts that God gives us. But we have to understand that the gifts are to build up the church, to edify the church, to strengthen, to mature, to grow the church. In verse 12, he tells us exactly what it is for the perfecting of the saints. God wants us to be perfect as He is perfect. But He's willing to wait while the process of sanctification works. <laughs> perfection doesn't belong to everybody. I think if we, if we finally gain perfection, God will say, oh good, I can take you home now. You're worthy to enter into the gates of heaven. That's just my thinking. That's not Scripture. But all of these gifts are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ to build up, to strengthen, to grow, and to teach others what those gifts are for. And why does He do it? Or when does He do it? He does it till we all come in the unity of faith in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's our end goal. Here's our end goal. This is what we strive for. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man to become perfect.
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. I want you to be so perfect, God says, that I want you to be perfect like my son is perfect. I want his body, the body of Christ, to be unified and to be perfected. And that perfecting work is the work of sanctification in each of our lives. It's important that we grasp this. This is, this is the doctrine of the church laid out for us. Uh, Ephesians and Galatians is filled with doctrine. But this is the goal and this, isn't, this is how we, how we get it. What, what, the, uh, what these next chapter and a half are, are instructions for living in righteousness so that we are perfected. And we'll get into those next week. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He speaks of Jesus as having a stature. How tall is he? How deep is he? How wide? That we may be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height. So this is an amazing passage in here. And it's stuck right in the middle of Paul's instruction to the Ephesians. Apollos was the one that founded this church. A good Christian man, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit. And when Paul went into Ephesus, he asked if they had been taught about the Holy Spirit. And Apollos, being unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit, hadn't mentioned them, mentioned the Holy Spirit to them. And that's what they, they responded to Paul. Well, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So now Paul is teaching them. And he was in their city for probably a year and a half to two years, maybe even longer, teaching and ministering to them, bringing them into the fullness of the body of Christ. So we're being called into this fullness of the stature of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. The word perfecting here is also translated maturing in different places. So he doesn't want us to be little kids. He wants us to be mature believers. He wants our childlike faith to grow into something much more profound enveloping our whole being and our whole self. Henceforth that we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love that they may grow up into Him in all things which is the head even Christ. There are deceivers out there. 
There are people and teachers in the churches who will take you off on a tangent. We know that Jesus, just as an example, we know that Jesus taught us to repent and be baptized. He taught us that be to be baptized and be saved. And so there's, there's one congregation, and it's a big one, that believes that in order to be saved, you must be baptized. You must be water baptized, immersion preferably. But you know, all you need is one exception to that dogma. And the dogma has to go away. There was a thief on the cross who was hanging next to Jesus. And his thief, his partner thief, on the other side of Jesus. But when the first thief spoke to Jesus, he said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, that's a profession of faith. That's a profession of faith. And he said it while he is hanging there strapped to a cross next to the cross of Christ. Now I still think it's a good idea to be baptized because it affords us, it affords us the opportunity to profess our faith openly and publicly. That's a good thing. If we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and we profess a belief in Him, well, that's what baptism, a public baptism does. It gives you the opportunity to be baptized and to speak out the Lord's name and say, I'm yours, Lord. I'm putting my faith in you. But that thief on the cross... He never got down off the cross to be baptized. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him in response? Today, thou will be with me in paradise. That man didn't have time to be baptized. No one was going to comfort him. No one was going to christen him with a little water on his head, much less immerse him into a, a pool or a river. But Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What do you think about that? <laughs> Sounds pretty good. But the Lord did not remove him from the cross because he still had to pay for his crimes against society. And because it was a holiday weekend, they couldn't leave them up on the cross overnight. So in order to make sure they were dead, 
a soldier came along and pierced Jesus' side. And what he did to the two thieves crucified on either side of him was the soldiers went along and broke their legs so that they couldn't support themselves on the cross to lift themselves up so that they could breathe. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't tell them, but before you get there, you're going to have your legs broken. That's the harsh reality. There are two sets of laws that we live by in society. We live by man's laws. And we live by God's grace. The promise of hope for the future. The promise of paradise. The laws of man are sometimes harsh. Sometimes they even seem cruel. But which is more cruel? To break that man's legs? To have them broken? So that he dies more quickly? Or to leave him suffering all night on the cross? And then check to see whether he's breathing in the morning. There's a measure of grace even by the laws to bring an end to suffering and to bring glory to God. And that's what, that hap that's what happened with that man on the cross, that thief, the one thief on his one side, Today, he was with, that day, he was with Jesus in paradise. Doesn't get any better than that. That's a deathbed confession of faith. I'm not getting out of this. I just want Jesus. That's our cry. That's our hope. That is the unity of the Spirit. That is the hope of our calling. That is the hope of our end. And Lord, we thank You for Your encouragement along these lines. Thank You for the inspiration of Paul here this morning as he declares what our calling and our vocation is and what the end of it will be. The end of it will be your glory, Lord, not ours, because everything we have is supplied by you according to your riches in glory. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you would just help us to apply all of this this week, especially when it comes around to Thanksgiving when we're celebrating with family or friends or just enjoying a quiet favorite meal with a loved one or two. Lord, be with us this week and remind us of all of the things that we have to be thankful for. Thank you for our calling. Thank you for our vocation. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for calling us your own. We love you and we, we praise you, Lord. All power and honor and glory belongs to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Uh, have a, don't, don't overeat <laughs> like that's going to happen. I don't know anybody that doesn't overeat on Thanksgiving, but none, nonetheless, I don't know anybody personally. We know that there are people starving on the other side of the world that uh, would love to have just a drumstick or a wing. Be thankful. Every day, be thankful to Jesus. Have a great week. Enjoy your families. Enjoy all of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.